Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I forgot to let you know yesterday was tax day. So if you didn't finish your taxes, finish your taxes. We were up very, very late. I did something really great. And you will take note if you were up late last night too. I actually put on my calendar for 2024 a month in advance, a whole day dedicated to taxes, a whole day dedicated to making sure I find a babysitter for that day, and that we're going to a nice meal afterward because we do our own taxes. But here's here's a clincher. So we're going to have to file an amendment anyways because I didn't get the social security card yet for the baby, my faux pas. Anyway, here's the deal. We're up to almost 2 a.m. doing our taxes. We bought a house and sold it in nine months last year because we decided to move back to sunny California, which you get nailed with capital capital gains taxes. Long story short, we're up till 2 a.m. Baby usually doesn't wake up till 5 a.m. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll get about three hours of sleep. I get into bed. I lay you down. I kid you not. She wakes up. She wakes up. Feed her. Okay, put her back down probably somewhere between 2.30 and 3. She wakes up again at 6, to which... We're up for the day. There you go. That's life with a not-so-newborn anymore, but fun stories with the taxes. I'm going to dinner tonight. I'm not cooking after all of that. Not that I'm getting a tax return because of capital gains taxes, but lo and behold, that is life. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me in just a moment will be Dr. Nicholas Carderis, and we're going to be talking about why people are getting sicker. I'm not just talking about physically, but mentally, the mental health crisis is at an all-time high, and we are sicker in terms of medical health than ever before. Wait, all of it. We're going to be talking about what's happening, what's behind this, what's the solution? Why is this all of a sudden, over the last 30, 40 years, have we seen this massive change? And we'll also talk about something that I think is really fascinating, and that is, what is a social contagion? Do you notice that groups of people, such as Even, for example, teenage girls, 20-something-year-old girls are coming out suddenly as transgender together with no prior confusion about their identity and gender. It is interesting. So we'll talk about all of that today on Trending with Dr. Nicholas Carderis, along with taking your questions. If you have a question for the doctor or Catholic question as well, the number is 1-888-914-9149. Fun fact, while we're talking about challenging things in the culture Have you ever suddenly found yourself as a parent considering homeschooling? Well, if you want to learn more, joining me for just a little bit later on here on Trending will be Jordan Alamanzer from Colby Academy. And we're going to talk about what you can learn a little bit more about homeschooling. If maybe your homeschooling bias, your criticism of us homeschooling nerds is going away. I was homeschooled. I'm guilty. I turned out semi-okay. I don't know. My husband's still concerned that I might say something controversial in public. So that's another conversation for another day. Joining me today on Trending is Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Dr. Nicholas Carderis is the country's foremost technology addiction expert. He's Ivy League educated. He's a psychologist. He's taught neuropsychology at the doctoral level. He wrote a book some years ago called Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Kids 
and How to Break the Trance. I love this book. You need to pick it up. I'll post the link on social media. But you also need to pick up his latest book, Digital Madness, How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Sanity. Because that's the key part. What's happening and how do we fix it? Without further ado, joining me today is Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Dr. Carderis, welcome back to Trending. Hey, Timory. Thank you for having me on the show again. You work night and day with especially young people who are in the midst of this crisis of mental health. We've seen over the last handle of year, number of years, uh, deaths of quote-unquote despair at their highest. Just in 2019, before COVID, over 200,000 people in some way died from suicide, alcoholism, uh, everything having to do with this anxiety and depression that's so prevalent in our culture and the antidotes that people try to turn to, such as drug, alcoholism, or a way out of life, uh, it's not the answer. And so I'm looking at the culture right now and I'm asking what's happening and how do we fix it? And when I read your book, your book really touches on why people are so sick physically and mentally today. What's the root cause? I mean, it's, it can be pretty complex, but if you look at it from a 30,000-foot view, the societal diagnosis that we're suffering from a crisis of emptiness. Uh, we're an empty, materialistic society whose values have been turned upside down, and so we're empty, and we have a bottomless thirst. Uh, by that, I mean we have an addictive thirst, and so we're trying to fill a void that we feel inside, and that we feel inside, and we're filling that void with substances and with sex and with with digital escapism um and and really the societal diagnosis is how can we shift and go back towards a more balanced and holistic and grounded way of living where we feel don't feel empty we feel more socially connected we feel more meaning and purpose in our lives because our obsession with social media and other digital devices is just really a symptom of just uh, of that disease, of that disease of feeling um, empty. But the problem is, it's it's a we call it a bi-directional influence. You know, we're empty. We reach out for something outside of ourselves to fill the emptiness, but then it only makes us feel more empty. And then round and round that cycle goes, and round and round into this abyss we we fall. It's interesting because I was thinking about this especially last week and I was thinking about you when I saw this happen. So I was at this really fun, better than a zoo, adventure safari like animal park. And I mean, the exhibits of the animals, they're not like your typical zoo where they often look sedated and bored and just a huge, I think, um, difference from common zoo and here are all these kids out on spring break they're looking around and i'm literally hearing kids complaining about being bored while you're watching the animals at their finest just having a blast from you're talking about elephants gorillas lions i mean even hearing a lion roar and i hear kids say that this is boring and i remember going there as a kid and thinking this was one of the most exciting things as an adult i think it's so neat to see the animals in these types of environments and there were kids saying they're boring they're over it they're not really interested they want to see something fun and exciting they've only seen you know a couple animals so far and I was amazed by how supposedly bored these kids were and how much they complained. And it pointed to me much of what you discussed in your book, that there's a real crisis going on with regard to how we are looking at screens as a society and the fact that we don't know how to be bored and also don't know how to be 
in awe or inspired by something, for example, in nature. Yeah, there's an ancient Greek word called asidia, and asidia is kind of like a spiritual ennui where you just feel bored and apathetic and flat and empty. So Dr. Lemke at Stanford, she wrote the book Dopamine Nation. She, you know, from a neurophysiological standpoint, we've been overstimulated, both the adults and the kids. So we've had so many shiny, blinking, noise-making, attention-grabbing devices that, you know, we're in too overstimulating of a, of a we're sensory overstimulated. And so our dopamine receptors get overstimulated. And then when absent being overstimulated, we feel understimulated. So the kid that plays video games 10 hours a day or the, uh, the young girl that's on social media or in different immersive or an interactive medium, their senses are getting so immersed and surrounded and tickled by so much stimulation that when you take all that away, they could be in the most amazing zoo experience that you talk about. They could be in front of the most amazing nature experience, but their dopamine has been sort of deadened. It's been numbed. And so a lot of... So not only are they sensory numbed, but I think they're spiritually numbed. And, and so now they're seeking ever-increasing levels of stimulation, sensory stimulation. And that means like lights, bells, and whistles, and, and more time, and more immersive, and louder, and more, um, just more, more, more. That's how we've become this sort of addictive society. The ancient Chinese had an archetype of the, the hungry ghost, and the hungry ghost was this archetype of a of a of a creature that had an insatiable addictive appetite that can never be sate, that can never be filled. And we're essentially a society of hungry ghosts. We're empty. We don't have a core sense of identity because the things that had shaped our identity, family, faith-based communities, uh, cultural, ethnic, all those things that gave us a sense of belonging and the sense of who we are have all sort of been vaporized. And, and now you've got empty kids adrift, and they're really, really susceptible to the influences of toxic digital influencers. Like, But it's not just influencers that have toxic values like the Kardashians or Kourtney Jenner, um, Kylie Jenner, whatever her name is. Uh, but it's also... <laughs> they're both, right? Right. Kourtney, like Kylie, my... Chloe, Kim. <laughs> yeah, right. There's, right, right. God forbid. Um, but we're not just... We're not just shaping young people with sort of toxic values, but we're also now spreading. Well, that's that's the lie. I don't want to. I don't want to cut cut to the uh, end result of the social contagion piece that we're going to talk about. But but that's the thing. When you have people that are so empty, without a core sense of who they are, they're vulnerable to be ideologically brainwashed, um, identity brainwashed, um, and influenced in ways that aren't just you know what 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 shoes should you buy in much more profound ways? Mm. No, it's interesting because I think that with every new technology, there's this response of people who say, oh, it's evil, it's bad, it's terrible. And I think a lot of people hear sometimes things that you say without seeing the incredible research and data behind what you say with regard to the impact of screens and technology. And they say, oh, it's just another person, mm -hmm. you know, say no to the latest technology. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that we've become a society that instead of saying, hey, here's a shovel, let me figure out ways to use it. And I look at someone such as my dad's generation, and I can't tell you how many ways he has found to use a simple 
shovel, right? To do things around the house, in the home, as a weapon, you know, whatever it might be if necessary. Uh, but our tools today are technologies. And it used to be that a shovel would be would have been considered a technology. Today, we think more so of iPhones, iPads, and the latest video game consoles that there are. And yet, instead of adapting the tools to our life, we're adapting our lives to the tools and centering our whole lives around these tools. But it's full of false promises. And I was reading in your book about uh, esports, and I actually had not realized that this was a terminology today. And I am so not up with the time when I realized this because I know people are, you know, you had the Wii Golf and Wii Tennis, and now you have a lot of people playing video games or just watching other people play video games. But I didn't know there was an actual movement to call it e-sports. And we are so far disconnected from embodied spirits and interaction with things that we're basically uploading our whole lives into how we'll interact online, uh, inviting in this whole idea of the metaverse and everything surrounding the transhumanism conversation. Yeah, not only is e-sports a thing, but it's the fastest growing participant Mm -hmm. sport and spectator sport. I mean, it's on ESPN they sell out, you know, the Staples Arena sold out for e-athletes, which is such an oxymoron, and it's such an Orwellian twisting of the language to call the single, the single activity that's probably driven up uh, pediatric obesity rates and pediatric diabetes has been gaming. It's made kids sedentary and couch potatoes, and they sit in front of their gaming consoles for, you know, hours and days at a time. And not to call those poor kids athletes, is such a perversion of that word, but you know, but that's that's how powerful sort of the the manipulation is. You know, it's 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 amazing. You know what, what's happening, and you know, you you were talking earlier about well, yeah, you, that, that about the e, e part of it, but it goes deeper than that because the the manipulation is just so um, profound. When we talked, you know, two three decades ago, we used to talk about psychiatric disorders like uh, eating disorders, anorexia, and bulimia. And how parts of our society could influence that, you know, because you had something like the fashion industry used to get blamed. And Anna Winter at Vogue magazine was responsible for the spike that we saw in the 1990s in anorexia and bulimia. And we had heroin chic and and uh, young people, um, you know, really trying to aspiring towards these idealized cover models. Mm-hmm. And and this goes back to, you know, you, you were speaking about this impact that we're having in in in. In, you know, there's a moral panic where sometimes it's the latest technology, but we never had, you know, your dad's shovel didn't have predictive algorithms and AI-driven right. uh, right. components to it that allowed it to seek out people's vulnerabilities. So when we had the fashion industry in the 1990s, it was a magazine. It was Vogue magazine sitting on someone's coffee table or in an end table. It didn't find you. You mm-hmm. had to find it. Now, you know, and we saw Elon Musk's interview with Tucker Carlson the other night talking about how powerful AI is getting and, and how potentially destructive, I mean, existentially destructive, you know, it could take over weapon systems and, you know, matrix and terminator types of destructive. But even from a, a, a shaping sense, like you were talking about, um, you have predictive algorithms that seek out people's, young people's especially, psychological vulnerabilities. And it, it, it attack, they attack those vulnerabilities because they know that emotional reactivity is what drives engagement. So if it identifies, again, think of a heat-seeking missile identifying 
uh, a teenage girl that has body image issues. And then all of a sudden now she'll be under attack with content that it's going to exacerbate her body image, her body image issues rather, and her eating disorder. So now it's going to be hashtag skin and bones or anorexia imagery and pictures. And it's content that will make her sicker, but she won't be able to look away from in classic you know, uh, mm. like the, in the same way that we rubberneck car accidents, we're not supposed to look, but we can't look away. That's what some of this technology does. It has, well, essentially a mind of its own now where mm. prior tools and prior generations did it. And I get it. We used to say that, you know, the TV was going to be the, the end of <laughs> us. And, and Plato had said that the written word was going to rot our memories because we were no longer going to be an oral uh, storytelling culture. Mm. And, and all those there was some truth to all of those. Uh, you know, every new uh, iteration of technology does potentially erode a human capacity, but this is at a level that we've never seen before. Mm. And I'm glad you mentioned the AI component. Too. I was just talking to my mom late last night while I was avoiding finishing the taxes for the night. And we were talking about how she was listening to an interview about AI and some of the things they're so concerned about right now and how Elon Musk and others have come forth saying, hey, we need to take a summer of pause on AI. I had to do with the fact that AI uh, has is evolving, right? And on its own, it's learning to cheat and lie. And, you know, yeah. it'll cite, for example, a book that doesn't exist, but AI, the AI thinks that it should exist. And, you know, these algorithms have gone so far and quickly, you know, we, we're hearing a lot today about articles that can be written by AI and that kids are getting in trouble from school. And so we're seeing some schools wanting to turn completely to handwritten essays, which I think is great. I think, you know, it, even just the work of writing is so challenging, sometimes on the wrist and the body that we've lost that component of even just our capabilities mm. to function with our wrists and our hands and those muscles and the forearms. Uh, but it's yeah. frightening to see how far AI has come. And yet, if we don't have conversations such as the one you're having, Dr. Carderis, we're going to find ourselves in a very unhappy place. I want to come back to the topic of acedia that you discuss in, in the chapter, because I think that's at the core of it. I know we hear a lot about acedia in the Catholic tradition and from a theological perspective, but you have a lot to say about it as well as a psychologist. We'll come back with Dr. Nicholas Carderis here on Trending, and we're going to talk about what's driving the social contagion, how to fix it, and what solutions there are to bring back this control in a culture where we're seeing people are frightened even by how far AR, AI has come and by the depths of despair we're seeing in the lives of so many people isolated and alone. So Real Solutions here with Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Pick up his book. You need to read it. Digital Madness. I'll post the link on social media as well as the episode notes. We'll be right back with Dr. Nicholas Carderis. You're listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Ivy League-educated psychologist Dr. Nicholas Carderis is with us. One of my favorite books over the last six months that's come out has been Digital Madness, How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Our Sanity. Dr. Carderis has been writing for the last decade on the issue of technology and social media and its influence, especially on the young. He is very experienced in this as he's also not just on the research side, but on the treatment side, working with people, especially young people 
in the depths of despair in the culture. And we're hearing even statistics showing that millennials say, one in five millennials say they don't have any friends, zero friends. Uh, men in their middle age today say they have no friends. Uh, isolation and loneliness is at an all-time high. Eating disorders, many people coming out as transgender. So a lot to be said. And one thing in particular that has fascinated me over the last five years have been these groups of young women and teenage girls suddenly as a pack coming out and identifying as transgender starting cross-sex hormone therapy so-called therapy and you're hearing a lot about this being referred to as a social contagion that today people are doing things that they're doing because their peers are doing them and it's based on social media and today social media creates our peers it's not just the people we're sitting side by side with in our normal day-to-day activities, but it's who we're interacting with on social media. So to discuss how far the social contagion has come is Dr. Nicholas Carderis. Dr. Carderis, I was reading your book, especially talking about the change in social contagion and how far it's evolved, even, for example, from what you write about in your book with Air Jordans, you know, those coveted shoes. Can you talk about how far the social contagion has come and maybe use that example of that story to see the changes and the significance of what's happening for young people today? Yeah, well, it, uh, social contagions are really a reflection of something called social learning theory. And it basically speaks to the fact that as a social species, we learn from groups. And really what a social contagion literally means is any behavior that is spread via groups. Uh, via social groups. And today, social contagions are now spread by digital social groups, which cast a much wider net, and they're much more pervasive, and they're much more omnipresent, and they're much more um, all-consuming. So something like smoking is a social contagion. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially a reflection of if you run with wolves, you become a wolf. You know, we, we, we reflect the group that we tend to, to run with. And, and so... Today, we're seeing manifestations of things. You mentioned uh, gender dysphoria, which has gone up 4,000% among adolescent females, which is not explainable by any natural means. This is not, uh, this is not you know, some people have talked about endocrine disruptors, something in the water or something in the environment that might be leading to this. And yeah, there might be a smidgen of that. You know, we are living in an environmentally uh, not very well ecosystem either. But to have a 4,000% spike in gender dysphoria at just the time that young females are being super immersed in social media where, where that's the ocean that they're swimming in. So you mentioned the Michael Jordan and the Air, the Air Jordans. Um, you know, I use that example in my book as the fact, as an example of we've always had influencers and we've always been influenced by our societal mm-hmm. role models. Um, you know, going back to our athletes and movie stars from you know, Babe Ruth to Marilyn Monroe. Um, but they had a limited impact on our lives because they tended to, we had limited exposure to them. Um, we would watch a ball game once or twice a week for a couple of hours on television, or we would go to a movie for two hours every couple of weeks. They weren't in our pocket and in our minds persistently and consistently. And one of the first influencers in a more profound way was somebody like Michael Jordan, who became sort of a megastar and translated that into shaping people's buying habits. And, and the, the, the contagion that happened around buying Air Jordans were essentially convincing poor inner city kids that their identity was now 
intrinsically or uh, inextricably connected with the status symbol shoe that none of them could afford. And yet, so now you had young kids in society that were committing crimes um, to get Air Jordans. By the way, I was a, a high school student in the Bronx at the time when Air Jordans were first mm. proliferating. And I remember seeing barefoot teenagers who just had their sneakers stolen from them on the subway um, because, you know, a, a, a group of kids felt that they needed to have their shoes no matter what. So, so we've had that where, where, where people identify themselves so much by extrinsic things like, like those shoes. But now, mm-hmm. fast forward 30, 40 years, we, we have this much more profound effect. And from a psychiatric standpoint, now we're switching gears from like the uh, YouTube influencers and some of the celebrities. We have the psychiatric influencers because what the coin of the realm is in social media is emotional reactivity and over-the-top behavior. You're not going to have somebody get the the millions and millions of followers who's thoughtful and discerning and even, you know, uh, a balanced speaker, you're going to have sort of these performative influencers. And so if you're a lost, empty young person who doesn't have a core sense of identity, a core sense of community um, to define yourself by, and you fall down the rabbit hole of a chat room, of a TikTok uh, video, of, of certain digital communities where now borderline personality disorder. That's another big one. Mm, Dissociative mm-hmm. identity disorder, yeah. what we used to call multiple personality disorder. We're seeing literally dozens and hundreds of influencers on social media who are performative in their psychiatric disorder and who are now getting millions of views and followers. Right. And now their followers are beginning to consciously or unconsciously mimic their behavior. So right. now you have teenagers who say they have multiple personality disorder. Um, when they don't. Uh, they don't have the real thing. Uh, and this is true now for gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a thing, but it's an extremely rare um, mm-hmm. psychiatric disorder. And so to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the prevalence that we're seeing now is obviously and clearly and, and undoubtedly a digital social contagion where empty mm-hmm. young Females are finding community and acceptance in what they think is this aspirational identity because now it's essentially cool to be trans. Right. And, you know, even on that note, I'm glad you brought it up with regard to the social contagion. I'm seeing something interesting happening where people are having these massive conversions. You know, people who are who are considered influencers who were influencing for realistically wrong reasons. And we'll give an example of someone who has come out as transgender and the algorithms on Instagram flood flood everyone's account with this person. There are a number of people who I've followed their stories of transitioning who went from no followers to a ton of followers in the last mm-hmm. couple of months or last couple of years, and they were advert or pushed, should I say, by the algorithms on Instagram. But what's fascinating is we're seeing some of them detransition, coming out yeah. of these transgender yeah. identities. But my fear and my concern is that as they're coming through this detransition, praise God, coming back to the biological, physiological, chemical reality of their body, they're clinging still on social media to the attention now for the detransition. And I am just pausing and saying we need to pray for every person on social media, but especially these people who have had this trans identity, that they are known, seen, loved, embraced, and heard 
in places other yeah. than online and that that transition doesn't just occur publicly, but it's a transformation of the heart, mind, and soul uh, that God's fighting for in these individuals. And yet sometimes I think we do them a disservice by continuing to sensationalize their story, even in the midst of a conversion. Well, absolutely. And, you know, so much of this is irreversible, the damage, you know, especially if you're going through puberty blockers during, you know, key developmental milestones of development. Right. The, the, the really, I think, evil part is the societal piece of it, the Orwellian right. use of the phrase gender affirmative therapy, in the same way that we call abortion, um, you know, reproductive health care, you know, we can't call it what it is, right? It's, it's killing a baby, but we have to call it reproductive health care instead of something that's more close to the reality. So calling something gender-affirming health care, and now if you're opposed to, how, how can someone be opposed to health care, right? This is gender-affirming mm -hmm. health care. It sounds, it sounds so optimistic and it sounds so healthy. After all, the word health care is in there. <laughs> and so the society now, if you're opposed to eight or nine-year-olds beginning, um, to get sucked into this rabbit hole, um, you are now called transphobic. Uh, right. And the, that, that's the evil part, the, the societal machinery that's gone on here where those of us who are trying to speak clarity and truth from a clinical standpoint, from a medical standpoint, again, you know, the absurdity of it is if we can't define what a woman is, if we're beginning to blur reality to such a degree you know, when the Supreme Court nominee Brown was asked what a woman is, and she said, I'm not a biologist, which I thought was an interesting tell, because it in that answer, she implied that there is a biological component to gender, because she, she didn't say I'm not a sociologist, right? right. Um, but, but, you know, if she wanted to be, if she wanted to keep her progressive bona fides, she could have said, she could have said gender has multiple constructs. She could have said there's a biological component, which has to do with reproductive organs and X and Y chromosomes. There is, there is a social construct of gender where sometimes there's uh, female and male uh, culturally shaped constructs. She could have gone that way and given sort of a more balanced approach. But, but she just didn't. <laughs> say, I, I, I can't tell you what a woman is. That, that's, that's the theater of the absurd that we've entered um, where ostensibly intelligent people can't speak yeah. the truth anymore. And so how do we expect teenagers to know what's up and what's down? And, and what we're seeing is that the majority of these kids are, are feeling, they're looking for a sense of, of identity. Uh, they're lacking it in, in the addiction recovery community. We, we have a phrase called uh, an addict doing a geographic. When, when somebody's struggling with addiction, oftentimes, they, they won't internalize the cause of the problem as being within themselves. And they'll say to themselves, hey, if I move from New York to California, uh, my life will be better. And in the addiction recovery world, we, we call that doing a geographic, that happiness lay over yonder. Well, in my view, the gender dysphoria phenomenon is a biological uh, gender geographic. A person mm -hmm. is unhappy within themselves. There's a, there's, a, there's a core dissatisfaction with life for a variety of complex societal reasons. And so all so of a let sudden, let me jump now, over here. Let me change this, if, and I'll be exactly, fine. Exactly. Yeah. If I can switch my gender, then I'll be happy. And mm -hmm. what we're seeing is that suicide rates don't go down because that's right. that's the big that's the big piece of artillery. A lot of the uh, trans community uses is that people are dying, people are suiciding, and if we don't all embrace gender affirmative uh, health care, people will die. But then you look at the statistics, and 
those who transition don't get psychiatrically better, don't get better suicide rates. In fact, they stay exactly the same. And then you have the, the, the transitioners now who are now legion, um, you know, the, the number one hospital in London, in England, which was the number one transition hospital is shut down because of all the lawsuits of the detransitioners. Hmm. So this is a, you know, a curse on us for the adults in the room for having uh, embraced this. And obviously now we've also exposed that there's a, a financial trail, a money trail here, really great universities like Vanderbilt that used to be known for their classical education and their core values uh, got seduced by this as well. You know, they had one of the most, um, popular uh, gender trans, uh, transgender hospitals yes. uh, in, in the country. And they've been exposed for doing it because it was a core sense of their revenue. And so a curse on, on them for selling out children uh, for profit. Um, and the other people, I think the, the, the hump of the bell curve, most people who are, we nod their heads vigorously and say, yes, this is all about children's, you know, trans kids rights. Um, they're, they've drank the Kool-Aid. They, they can't, you know, even this whole idea when Governor DeSantis had his um, parents' rights bill that got called, the, that got mischaracterized as the don't say gay bill. Mm. And, and people were saying, nobody's saying, you, no one is anti-gay in that bill. People are saying just children aren't age appropriate at, from K to three to learn about gender identity. They're, they're not, it's just developmentally not appropriate for them. And, and so you have kids who are at impressionable stages who want to still play astronaut or uh, I'm a puppy, I'm a tiger. You know, we don't let kids transition to different fantasy uh, creatures that they fantasize when they're seven or eight. Um, but yet the adults in the room clap loudly and think that this is fun. And I, and I hate to say it, but I've seen it in my own community in New York where it's almost a, sa a status symbol for parents to have a trans child. Um, in certain families, there's right. pride when they say, my my child has transitioned last year. Right, right. You're modern. You're up with the times. You know, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Dr. Nicholas Carderas. I want to touch on some of the solutions. And you know, I know people listening identify as transgender sometimes. You know, someone called in just a few moments ago saying, you know, trans people are people too. This has nothing to do with the idea that a person who is experiencing a gender crisis or anything is a lesson. It's a saying that there's a reality to male and female. Uh, there is a reality to the orientation of how the body functions and the studies and statistics point very clearly to the fact that the damage of the mental health of an individual who's pushed into a transgender identity doesn't fare happier. There may be a moment of a honeymoon phase, but it goes away and for anyone listening i really want to encourage you to check out the website sexchangeregret.com that's sexchangeregret.com it speaks a lot to this crisis and challenge occurring right now dr carderas in your book you talk about acedia and it kind of refers in the modern time of this idea of listless listlessness and dissatisfaction theologically we've known acedia as a part of one of the seven deadly sins uh the spiritual dimension of sloth you know laziness but sloth being the spiritual side of being lazy with regard to religious things and our faith and worship can you speak a little bit to how acedia is what is driving this disconnect in the culture and how we need to fix that while doing away with the screens and the social media Right, so we have kids, again, who are getting overly stimulated and aren't finding true meaning in their lives. 
And so everything else now seems boring, right? If you're going to be playing immersive first-person shooter games 18 hours a day or another fantasy kind of hyper-stimulating worlds, uh, well, listening to your teacher is not going to cut it. Playing the violin for an hour a day is not going to cut it. Um, in my community here where I am, they weren't able to field varsity teams last year because Whoa. the adolescent males were just too listless and didn't have the uh, interest to go to practice and, and, and participate in sports anymore because that took too much effort. So we've created sort of a listless, um, apathetic group that's, that's really been primed just to be stimulated. And, and, and external stimulation can only go so far. Uh, at, at the end of the day, eventually, uh, the, the, the existential crisis hits. You know, we used to have an existential crisis in midlife, right, where the stereotypical successful person chased uh, money or materialism and finds out in midlife that maybe that's, there's more to life than chasing money. Now we're having 16 and 17-year-olds that are sort of finding out, what not there anything more to life than just video games all day or being on social media and following influencers that that does grow old and it does deaden and numb the person the epidemic that we're having with school shooters with the yes. incel movement with with people that are committing acts of violence like that i'm convinced that those are people that are seeking ever increasing senses of stimulation and highs yes. and 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 what's the word i'm looking for you know when you look at the psychological profile of school shooters uh, not only were these empty, lost young people, but they were numbed and flattened. Right. And so I've worked with young people that would cut or mutilate themselves to feel a sensation. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. if you increase the intensity, okay, now I've cut myself, I've burned myself. Well, now what if I hurt somebody else? Maybe I'll feel something because yeah. I'm so numbed and deadened yes. to being human. And right. now maybe if I hurt or kill somebody, that's that's even a higher level of sensation and maybe something. i'll be mm. i'll have some my moment of infamy maybe i'll live mm. forever you know that's the other part of it there the 15 minutes of fame piece where i'm a nobody i feel worthless um I, i'm rather than committing you know having a death of despair like you mentioned and self-medicating myself to death let me go out in the blaze of glory and take out a few other people where at least i'll 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 have a legacy because uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, people still do want to feel that they're, they can defy death and have a sense of immortality. And by committing these atrocities, they do leave their mark in the world. Right. And right. some of them, that's all that they have. And that's what your book really indicates, that we are leading to this absolute digital madness. And if we don't do something, it is consuming us, it's taking the lives of individuals. And I think of what are the solutions, the solutions, and you speak more and more to this in your work. We need God. We need to limit tech. We need to see there's purpose and meaning in the human person. Uh, we need to say no. We don't have to have all the latest gadgets or be on the latest form of social media. I love the people at ScreenStrong.com because they help in taking back your children from the digital world. And it starts with us. The reality is, is that as adults, we've allowed social media to get out of control and technology in our own lives. We have to get off our tech. You know, I've intentionally made choices in my own home uh, to be a no tech home for my child. That is, 
that she's not on screens. We don't have a TV uh, that on occasion she might watch a movie, but it's with us and it's a little bit of a movie. She's two years old. She shouldn't be looking at TV. Uh, And that if she looks at our phones, it's not a frequent look at our phones, but an occasional look to see a family member in a photo or to FaceTime a relative. I think that it takes work and it's challenging, but we're talking about not just the happiness day-to-day of individuals, but the eternal souls of individuals that coming out of that acedia, that listlessness that people are suffering from today. Dr. Carderis, I so appreciate the work you're doing, the work you're doing to help counsel so many young people as well who are struggling. Your book is for sale, Digital Madness. I highly recommend the book. If you haven't picked it up, that along with Glow Kids, parents, you need to be equipped. And if you know parents, they need to read these books. It will be a good gift to give all the data to come on the side of truth with regard to how we we need to handle technology. We posted links to these resources mentioned. Again, that was also screenstrong.com that I mentioned. We'll link as well to Dr. Carderis at Omega Recovery Center as well. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray coming up. Maybe you're saying, what can I do to make a change? Maybe you never considered it before, but you are now homeschooling. We're actually going to talk about how you can receive a first-time introduction to homeschooling if you haven't before with our good friends over at Colby Academy. Listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888 914 9149. We've been talking about the crisis in the culture surrounding loneliness, depression, anxiety, suicidality, lack of happiness. What are the solutions? Well, I think one of the solutions, and a lot of parents are picking it, has to do with education and the choice to homeschool. I have been hearing from parents who never thought they would ever find themselves being a homeschooling parent, and they are now. I was homeschooled, I admit it. Confessions of a homeschooler. Joining me now is Jordan Almanzer. He's a director of alumni and public relations at Colby Academy, and they are getting ready to have a open house coming up in a couple days here. I thought this is a great timing with everything going on in the culture. A lot of people are asking questions, Jordan, about homeschooling. They may be considering it. You don't really know where to start. So tell us a little bit about how they can learn more information. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me back. And um, you're absolutely right. There's more interest, I think, in homeschooling than there ever has been in the past. I am also a product of homeschooling. So I will admit it along with you. And now proudly, <laughs> I guess, it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming a little more of a mainstream option for people. And the event that we're offering this Friday, it starts at 8 a.m. Pacific time, so 11 Eastern, um, this event is really a, a no commitment sort of thing. I mean, you just invest the time to come and show up. And so if you're curious at all, you may still be one of those people who say, I could never do this or I would never do this. This is a great thing. If, if, if anything has piqued your interest in the past year or so that you want to see what is homeschooling all about and how can I be supported in homeschooling, this is the event for you. So I really encourage people to show up for this. You can learn more at colby.org forward slash relevant. I'll post a link on social media, but that's K-O-L-B-E.org forward slash relevant. You know, Jordan, it's interesting. I remember 
about maybe seven, eight years ago when the transgender conversation was starting to come to the forefront for the first time, right about, you know, 2015 when uh, Bruce Jenner suddenly came out as Caitlyn Jenner and suddenly we're talking about gender for the first time, really. We thought drag queens used to be a thing comically brought up on a television show or a movie on occasion, not mainstream. And I remember a friend of mine looked at me and said, I'm considering homeschooling. And this is someone who for years had made fun of me for being a homeschooler, even would mock the whole idea of homeschooling. And she said, I'm considering homeschooling, but I'm not going to do the homeschooling. Would you homeschool my kids? To which I said, no, thank you. Uh, That's okay. Uh, But then she started going around asking other people, will you homeschool my kids? Because she thought it was important. Uh, But it's something she didn't believe that she could do, and she didn't know about resources out there. So for those parents who are saying, hey, this is something I want, I don't know how to do it, I'm also worried about the social side of my child's life, what would you say? Yeah, that's exactly what this event is for, and that's that's what Colby has really developed in seeing a a need uh, to support parents in their own choice to homeschool. And you're right, there are a lot of people who don't think that they're able to do it. And maybe in some cases, they're correct. Maybe they maybe they do need some help. So at Colby, we offer several different things. If there's the very adventurous parent who's like the pioneers of old, like my parents were, and, and most likely yours, where they, uh, they can do it on their own and they can venture out, the mom is able to spend the time or the father or together, spend the time educating their children that's one avenue you can do at Colby. Um, but then we have kind of everything in between that and doing full-time online courses, which is what several of my children do at Colby. And this is where you have a teacher who's doing all the grading for you. And um, then there's kind of an in-between option where it's self-paced. So it's more like watching videos on your own time. And then you can still get some grading services, definitely supports uh, for for uh, any questions you might have, we have academic advisors, a whole staff of academic advisors. So the way those programs work and um, any questions that people might have about them, that's really what the open house is all about, is to kind of address those. And then as far as the socialization part, that that was always a big thing um, with me as well when I was growing up. That would be, what, what about the kids' social lives? I have found that homeschoolers are some of the most well-socialized individuals I've ever met. I also teach at a college, and very often I uh, I know when a student has been homeschooled by the way they're able to walk up and shake my hand mm-hmm. and introduce themselves. And uh, I have I I feel like some of the best citizens that we have now are former homeschooled children who weren't relegated to just the specific grade they belong to. They were interacting with children and Mm -hmm. adults of all ages, which makes for very well-rounded individuals. Especially going into the workforce and or even in academia. You mentioned the example of teaching at the collegiate level. I remember you know, you could always kind of tell a difference between someone who was homeschooled and not with regard to the comfort they had often earlier in the education process of talking to adults, professors, and having conversations. You know, I think that that's a skill that many people who are homeschooled have. And it's important, especially at a time when we're terrified to pick up the phone and talk, uh, when I think that we're seeing this isolation in society today of loneliness 
And yet it's because we don't have people skills. And the reality is, is that when you interact, as you're mentioning, with multiple generations, uh, being around the family and having that introduction, but also being socialized with sports. I mean, I played or I didn't play. I danced. I danced hours a day. And that was a huge part of my social life, along with family and friends as well. You You socialize your child. And I think that's important because I think there's been this assumption that who your kids go to school with is adequate in terms of socialization. And I mean, the public school system in particular, that isn't always the case. Right, right. And and your uh, your guest that was on before, he mentioned, I, I couldn't believe that, but uh, where he said that, um, that, that they couldn't even field some varsity sports teams. Right. And I, I, you know, that, that is, uh, that's, that's new in our world. Um, but I, you know, I, I played sports. I was able to play at the local public school. Um, and a lot of states, that's still the case where, where you have that choice. Lucky for us, we live in New Hampshire, which is very uh, homeschool friendly. And our girls play sports uh, with a private school here. And uh, they have chances to do kind of travel team and things like that. So we've had quite a few people that came to us um, at Colby. We had a, a ballerina who was like a world renowned at a young age and homeschooling gave her the flexibility to be able to pursue that wholeheartedly. And I, I think that that's another kind of hidden benefit of homeschooling mm-hmm. is if you have one of these really gifted children or, or children who are just really interested in, in something that they could become very good at, homeschooling gives the flexibility for them to do so. It's funny you mentioned that because that's actually one of the reasons why I homeschooled as well, among many others. But why I continued to is because I was a dancer and it uh, was more, I think, conducive with the regiment and the intensity and the amount of time spent dancing. And I think, you know, that's also one of the challenges. The modern day school structure, I think, has a children learning for far longer hours than they should be because it's replacing being at home with their parents. And so schools have become babysitters rather than educators, and education can actually take less time than it does, and the kids can have the freedom to enjoy some activities, to enjoy being bored, which is one of the best things that can happen uh, to a child for the creativity and development of their mind and body today. For sure, for sure. I mean, that that's so true. I, it is where there are a lot of wasted hours, I think, in a brick-and-mortar school very often. Maybe not always. There are some great schools out there. But I, I would just really encourage your listeners um, that that they can take the, the, the moments fly by. I mean, the, the time just flies by. You know that as, as a mother and I, I know that as a father, it just goes by so quickly. Why not invest some of that time into your own children, spending as much time with them as you can? So even if you do something like our online academy, you can find out at the at the um, event on on Friday that uh, you can you can really tailor your your schedule. We have we have a thing called embrace the first day. It's kind of a tag or I'm sorry, embrace the fifth day. It's kind of a tagline at Colby. And that's because we don't write into our schedules at all um, doing schooling on Friday. So it, all of Friday is off. And we encourage people Love to it. make that a family day, however you mm-hmm. can. I love it. That's what we did growing up. We'd double up on a subject each day and we'd have a three-day weekend. And those were our days for a lot of really fun family activities when the majority of the world's in school and things aren't as busy as they commonly are. So I love that you mentioned that. Please check out Colby Academy, colby.org forward slash relevant. We'll post a link on social media as well as the episode notes because I want you to learn more about homeschooling. Have an open mind. Just know all of your options. All the parents are looking for options today with regard to education. 
Colby Academy provides one of those. So check out the open house to learn just a little bit more in the online open house, April 21st. Learn more at colby.org forward slash relevant. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America. Tomorrow we'll be talking about artificial intelligence here on Trending. Tech innovators are calling for a summer-long pause on artificial intelligence out of fear and concern of what it's become. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. AI has apparently learned how to cheat and lie, and creators don't know how to control it. They're concerned. It can also make proteins in seconds that would take humans quite a bit longer. We'll talk about artificial intelligence and what the Catholic Church has to say about it. Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.